0: This show is brought to you by the O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference, which takes place from November 4 to November 7 in Berlin. You'll get four days with the brightest minds in the software architecture space. People who work with the same technologies you use and have hard-earned experiences to share. So please check it out. Welcome to a new conversation about software engineering, today with Philippe Kruchten. Philippe is a software engineer and professor of software engineering at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. He mostly known for, uh, as the director of process development at uh, Rational Software and the developer of the 4 plus 1 architectural view model. Philippe recently wrote a book about managing technical debt together with Ipek Oskaya and Robert Nord, um, which will be publicly available on March, May 4, uh, 2019. Filipe, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sven. Did I forget to say anything important about you? <laughs> no, that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let's just start... Uh, briefly with um, some definitions so the first one is what is actually technical debt
1: okay technical debt it's not like financial debt it's not like uh, you owe money to somebody so it's just a metaphor to express something that software developers most of them especially when they're working on large long-lived system have experienced it's the accumulation of suboptimal decisions, little imperfection in the code. They're not bugs. You know, the code works, it does what it has to do. But gradually over the months and over the years, it's become harder and harder to evolve the software, to add new functionality and that kind of thing. So it feels a little bit like a mortgage. You know, you cannot use all your money to spend it on whatever you want because you have this
0: debt to reimburse. And if you don't reimburse it, Interest are piling up. Um, you mentioned interest, so a debt always has some interest and some principle to pay it back. Can you elaborate on those terms? Let's
1: assume you've done something to the software, just you know, as a shortcut. Well, you went through some deadline and everything is happy. You go back and you just fix it. You do the right thing. It was not quite right before, but now you're doing. You take the time to do the right thing. This is just reimbursing the principal. But let's assume you don't fix it because you don't have time. Well, you'll have to pay some interest. Uh, some evolution in a few weeks later will be a little bit more complicated because you haven't repaid the principal. And then a few weeks later it's still a little bit more complicated because you haven't repaid the principal, and so on and so on. So if you don't repay the principal, there's still some additional cost and those costs they pile up. And as you pile up new software on top of the old one, reimbursing the principle becomes harder. Oh, now I'm really, really annoyed by this decision that we made, you know, two years ago. Let's fix it. Oh, but now that we want to fix it, there's a lot of things that depend on that not quite right code. So you sort of say, well, maybe I shouldn't touch it, you know, because there's too much of a house of cards build up on top of it. And then
0: the interest continue to pile up. Hmm. Um, You mentioned um, cost. Is there also value in it? Well,
1: is there value
0: in having defects?
1: Well, uh, no. Um, Cost is what you're going to spend to fix it, to reimburse your debt, pretty much like what you're going to spend to develop new functionality or to fix a defect. Value is in the eyes of the beholder, the user, the buyers, the people who pay you some sumptuous uh, emoluments to get your software. Uh, technical debt has no externally visible value. In that respect, it's a little bit like software architecture it, the value of the architecture is not visible externally. You see features, you see the functionality, the capabilities of the software, but you don't see the actual architecture. The technical debt is a little bit in the same category. You don't see its negative value uh, outside. Defects, well, they have a negative value and you see them outside. That's why you're going to roll up your sleeve and fix the defects. Fixing the technical debt? Hmm, well, some managers say, ah, oh, yeah, it's good enough, it works, let's not worry about it, let's move on.
0: Mm, but um, for, I thought that the value of technical debt is that you can go faster for, uh, uh, let's yeah, say... you can go faster. That's usually,
1: that's usually the reason you're willing to incur technical debt. You can deliver something earlier in... Uh, but um, it's the long-term consequences of it. Is it a one-shot software, there's one delivery of it and then you forget it? Well, that's like declaring bankruptcy, you know, you just move away from your debt. But if that software is successful and you want to continue to evolve it and to maintain it, then there's a compromise there. Then there's the decision, you know, do we want to reimburse our principal or not? So, yes, there is some immediate value that you can get out of taking some technical debt, pretty much like there is some immediate value as borrowing money to buy a new car. You can use the car tomorrow or this afternoon. You don't have to You pile up enough money to buy a car and take the bus in the meantime or your bike. So there is a little bit of value, but the value... uh, that you have, it's consumed immediately and it's rapidly forgotten by the people who manage software. They say, oh yeah, well, I don't recall that uh, we had any problem with release one. You know, let's move on to release two. Yeah, well, there's some work to do between release one and release two in order to get release three and four and five and six and seven.
0: Yeah, but um, how how would you, how do you communicate that? I mean, um, we, we, we software developers, we all um, you know, know, I would say, what technical depth is. We all took the shortcuts. And what, what you said, it, I think it's I'm not sure if it's forgotten. Um, people or developers know about it. It's just a very hard sell because it's invisible. Yeah, and um, I'm just wondering how you can sell something invisible like technical depth. Probably the same thing like selling something, something invisible like architecture.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty hard sell in some shops, especially when the people making decisions about the trajectory of the product are not that technical. They've never developed lots of code themselves. Maybe they say, oh, yeah, you're, uh, I was programming in C++ when I was in school, but that's about it. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficulty. The, the reason technical debt uh, took off as a metaphor in the last few years is because of the financial metaphor. Um, the, the, the gap between the business side of the companies and the technical side uh, can be bridged a little bit. You, know, you can use the financial metaphor to explain what's happening to the software. Hmm. So no, I mean, there's not much uh, you can do. You have to explain and explain again and give examples and concrete examples and examples from other projects. Uh, the danger also is that um, the metaphor is not perfect. You, don't, you, you may accumulate a lot of technical debt, but it's not necessarily all the technical debt that you have to reimburse. You have to reimburse the technical debt that is annoying you now. Mm. The one that is slowing you now. If you have a large subsystem with a lot of technical debt, but it's pretty stable, nobody's touching it, and you don't need to evolve it for future functionality, then leave the debt there. You don't have to reimburse it. Mm. So th- that's- it's not the same thing as you know uh, a mortgage on a house. You have to pay the bank the whole mortgage. You cannot say, oh, you know what? I'm not using the garage, so I'm not going to reimburse you for the garage. That's <laughs> where the metaphor is a little bit loose.
0: Yeah, yeah. basically, that's the difference between potential and actual technical debt, right? So um, yeah. if, if I have a very using, bad submodule, sorry? Yeah. If you're using uh, static analyzers
1: uh, to find you know, what people nowadays call code smells, which is a form of technical debt at the code level. Uh, The tool is agnostic. The tool will tell you about technical debt in all your code. And then it's pretty daunting. You have this massive amount of warnings about technical debt and code smells and imperfection in your code. But actually, you know, you can look at it and say, well, I don't care about, you know, two thirds of it. It's not in my way. So I can mm. focus on the technical debt that is actual debt based on what I want to do now with the software.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think there is an interesting tool. Um, I think CodeScene code is the name, which uh, also it, it looks at the code smells and also at the, the frequency of the commits. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's quite interesting. On the other side, it also has a, has a little downside. Um, there are code bases where you have lots of technical depth and nobody is, you know, nobody uh, is brave enough to touch that code. So nobody is changing it, although they would like to. Yeah. So. Sometimes the, the, the there are two other phenomena that uh, comes to play
1: the The technical that is not very well understood because the original developers have are gone, and uh, they haven't left much documentation, so people are reluctant to touch the code because it's not buggy the code works it just looks pretty weird and ugly um The other reason is if you do not have any way to test things, refactoring the code, if you don't have ways to uh, retest it to see if you have changed functionality, that's also taking a big risk. So absence of regression tests and absence of documentation or knowledge about the code uh, are two factors that uh, are not good incentive for Fixing the technical debt or reimbursing your principal, as you may call it.
0: Um. So, the, the if I if I start let's say I start a new project, but the project is unfortunately like a very old let's say insurance system. It's already fifteen years old. What you mean is before actually fixing any any bad code, we should first start fixing missing tests and documentation mm. before even documentation, considering?
1: No, but you need to understand. If, you, if you're if you going to refactor a subsystem, you need to understand what it does. And if you have no way to uh, assess that the changes that you're going to do are not damaging, it's pretty risky. I'm not saying don't do it, but it's taking a lot of risk. Hmm. risk introducing defects just because you did not understand what was the original intent of that module. Um, hmm. But let's assume that you know, smart people can read the code and understand the code. The second thing, uh, not having tests, that's something that you can build. You can build um, you know, not necessarily unit tests at the low level of granularity, but system-level tests to test that the functionality of that subsystem is not uh, affected by the refactoring that you're going to do to it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think in in some domains, like like um, like financial domains, if you if you want to replace a large financial system, you I think you're even not allowed to do that without. Um, showing that there is a substantial uh, amount of system level tests because, you know, people can lose money and stuff like that.
1: So people call that test debt you know, as a
0: variant of technical debt. Um. Um, Maybe um, you you said earlier that uh, you know it's the the, the metaphor uh, gained some traction in the last years. I mean, it's it's like more than twenty five years old. I think what Cunningham coined the term nineteen ninety two or something. Um, is there any other reason why it took off uh, in the last years? I mean, what what comes to my mind is. I don't know like 20 years ago most systems were not so huge so you know rewriting was easy but nowadays you just cannot rewrite a system it yeah most systems are too big to rewrite
1: yeah there's a lot of big systems um i don't know exactly why i think there's uh, also some effect of uh, communication um we have more and more people expressing themselves in the form of blogs and uh, various uh, online publication, and um, people discover technical debt and they run into somebody who expressed to, to them the metaphor and point them to some presentation by Steve McConnell or Martin Fowler, and they say, "Oh yeah, this is technical debt. Now I understand what I'm suffering from," and they express some opinions about it. So. It was sort of growing, you know, uh, six, seven years ago, we, we Google technical debt and there was, you know, tens of thousands of references, but not that much more information. It was people just repeating roughly the same thing and giving different examples. So I think this is one of the things it's not taught at school, you know, it's, there is no course on technical debt that I know of. So it's the kind of thing that people discover on the job. Um, and then a few tools, uh, static analyzers, started to uh, hook on terms like uh, code smell and imperfection and things like that. And they started to to link that to technical debt. One in particular was pretty instrumental in doing that is uh, Sonar.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think Sonar is quite interesting. I mean, there is basically no project without a Sonar, and all the projects which don't have it, they are like crying for it. Yeah. So um, that really worked out.
1: Yeah, that worked out. However, it's there is a an issue there is that it points at what I call relatively low code level technical debt. Um, there is a relatively wide range of technical debt. Some is at the architectural level, some of the big decisions that you've taken about how to structure the system, which programming language, which framework to use, and all that kind of thing. A tool will not tell you that this is technical debt. And uh, that's only in the head of the designers. That's the kind of thing that you cannot just obtain by running some tool. A few things about the structure, if you have, you know, cyclical dependencies and uh, a strange uh, class hierarchy, well, a few tools will detect that. But some of the fundamental architectural uh, technical debt, yeah, only, only the local people who've lived through it uh, will be able to point it out. But yeah, I took on mostly because people realized that they've accumulated a lot of technical debt at the code level, and static analyzers were starting to point at them. And uh, they got some good traction in actually fixing the technical debt and inserting that into their regular development cycle. Uh, some organization that I know, you know once every four or five iteration or sprint they focus on reducing technical debt, but very focused, not just random technical debt, you know, the technical debt, that is the actual debt, the thing that is slowing them down
0: now. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a problem um, that you don't randomly uh, improve the code. I mean, I, I know organizations which just look at the pure numbers so, you know, you have, I don't know, 20 blockers, 30 critical and 50 major warnings in in, in Sonar. Yeah. And then uh, developers just start to pick the, the low-hanging fruits. Yeah. Wow. To get the numbers down instead of looking at the real problems. Yeah. Yeah, so I think prioritizing is is tricky.
1: Yeah, no, you need to prioritize uh, unless unless you have, you know, infinite resources available. (laughs) Bring bring in the summer summer intern from university and uh, let them uh, fix the technical debt.
0: Uh, yeah, well, but, but, but still, you know, if, even if you have lots of resources, there's always, like, opportunity cost, right? So you could do something useful with that time. There are
1: risks associated with it, you know.
0: Refactoring is not a totally
1: riskless uh, exercise. You may introduce bugs.
0: If you don't have test cases or good test coverage. Uh, yeah. You
1: know, testing has its limit, too
0: yeah (laughs) that's true um yeah you said um this one company they um they deliberately um, prioritize every four to five sprints um uh the the technical depth so how would you do that i mean how do you prioritize how do you plan
1: You you need to bring technical debt at the same level of visibility as, you know, new functionality, uh, defects, something like that. So it needs to be in your backlog. It needs to be, um, you know, decomposed in a sufficiently small level of granularity. It needs to be estimated. And then you prioritize it with other activities. You could prioritize a little bit of technical debt fixing strategically in various situations that company i taking as an example they just you know try to focus on technical debt um at some point in time in their in the release cycle immediately after a release the the, the first uh, one or two iterations uh there's a little bit more room to uh, fix technical debt to address technical debt uh, giving them a little bit more time to uh, work on the requirements for new functionality. But that's just a, a strategy. It's not. Mm. It's just putting some discipline. Um, technical debt needs to be brought up, visible, and the cost associated with remediation needs to be uh, evaluated pretty much the same way you do it for any other action that you're going to take on your software. Hmm. The big big change that organizations have to do is to make technical debt a visible element. It's not some dirty secret that just a few developers know about and grumble. Uh, It needs to be brought up to a level of visibility where the whole organization can take technical debt into account in their decision about what are we going to do
0: next week, next month? Um, but, but, you know, if technical debt is invisible, um, but at some point, you know, the, the effects become visible. So do, do I already, you know, make, making it visible in, in, in a company, do I already need to have some problems or um, to, to express that? I mean for for example if I just have like you know small code smells which I can easily fix that's not a problem if I have many code smells uh, usually and usually they they end up in a higher let's say in a higher amount of bugs for example yeah. so with that it becomes visible or if I have like big problems with the architecture. So the architecture is not really meeting um, the the requirements the system has, for example, scalability or performance or security, then um, it's becoming visible.
1: Yeah, so you you can can look at the cost of technical debt, not just in the cost that it would take developers to change the code and repay the principal as we were calling it early on, but you have to look at the consequences. there are dependencies between the things that you want to do. If we change the architecture, then adding this kind of functionality will be easier. if we you know remove these uh, code clones, then we will have less errors of that nature, like the one we had you know last week. so you hmm. we can articulate the value of Fixing technical debt in terms uh, that makes sense from a global business perspective, reducing risk, reducing the likelihood of introducing new defect, and making future development easier and faster or more secure or whatever.
0: Mm. I mean I think you know if, if you already have a problem then it's usually very easy to communicate. The, the big problem is communicating, let's say, the, the iceberg. You, it's not really visible what's coming, but uh, you will have a, you will have lots of problems if you don't fix it. That that's tricky. I mean, if if it's just a small change, then it's okay. But I I I worked on systems where people said, okay, we have all we have here problems. You know, how long does it take to fix it? And then it's like three people need half a year, and then it's like oh god. <laughs> so that's then a totally different story. And um, yeah, I think that's really hard to to communicate early enough.
1: Yeah, in in some ways as I was describing earlier, it's not very different from looking at architecture. Why would a, a large system um, have two or three people called software architect? What are they producing of value? It's pretty hidden. They have a cost, but the
0: value is very difficult to articulate uh, very often. Mm. Yeah, that's true but how, how so I mean
1: communicating yeah. explaining explaining the ramification the dependencies uh, doing what if scenarios what if we do this what would be the consequences on the next release the subsequent release uh, and explaining that to the people who are involved in making the big decisions the product owner the product managers the team leaders the VP engineering whatever explaining things um, it's unfortunately about the only way forward just saying oh we've run sonar and look at the numbers they're frightening well (laughs) ridiculous because you say so what you know
0: yeah yeah i remember once um, like what one business leader he told me you know your colleagues are always coming and saying we we have to fix this code because it's crap and, um, but I cannot work with that statement. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it has to be a little bit more concrete, like uh, more concrete than, um, yeah, the code is crap or the code is ugly. Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, what, what's good these days is that most product owners or organizations already felt the consequences. In some way or the other. I mean, especially let's say large financial organizations; they all have their COBOL systems. Nobody can maintain anymore, and you cannot hire people. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's you know it's better than a few years ago yeah. or like ten years ago.
1: But the problem had existed for a long time. It's not because we have this handy metaphor. Uh, and that suddenly we, there is a new problem that appeared in 2000 or in 1992. Uh, people have looked at software evolution for a long time, but it was not a very sexy field in software engineering. A few people had discussion and books and technical conference about software evolution, but we, we've, we've known the issues for a long time using different words. Technical debt just mm-hmm. brings another vocabulary on something that was known before, but it's not something that that exciting. It, but, it, it married relatively well with iterative development and the agile movement because you could do something, uh, you could have some tactical decision at the level of one iteration. You could discover that you have some technical debt, it's getting in your way, The next iteration, you reimburse that technical debt. The subsequent iteration, you move forward with some new clean code. So iterative development facilitated um, the identification and the resolution of technical debt, as opposed to Mm -hmm. a massive waterfall thing where you would do coding after having done the design, and then you discover you have some technical debt, but you're running out of time because testing needs to get started so that we can deliver So the Mm. Big Waterfall model with no iteration was not really um, suitable for addressing technical debt in a very tactical fashion. Mm. Pretty much like the Big Waterfall was not very friendly for architecture. You know, and you had the people complaining, oh, we have big upfront architecture. Uh, Iterative development allows you to try out the architecture, build an architectural prototype, start building software and validate the architecture as you go along. The same phenomenon happened uh, with technical debt. Iterative development allowed technical debt to be taken into account um, proactively in the development process.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, well, you mentioned the software maintenance um, or evolution topic. I think Scrum already said like 25 years ago or something, um, iteration two is already maintenance. Everything is maintenance. Yeah. So in, in, in my understanding, since everyone is always or you know th- there, there are not so many greenfield projects anymore. So, you know. Even if you have a greenfield project, after a couple of weeks or months, you already deliver. Um, even if it's just an internal delivery, you have to. You know, you're already in maintenance mode. So I think that's all. Uh, in, in, in my perception, that's also a reason why it's why it took off. Yeah. In the last years. Okay. Um, yeah. So when I. When I um, speak to some business owners, and um, yeah, I think it's you know explaining the value is probably easy if they already have some pain. Yeah, you know they have lots of bugs or lots of customer complaints or you know the system is down for an. Unwanted amount of time. I think that then it's the, the value is easy to 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 articulate. But um, h- how do you calculate the cost of fixing the debt? Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's still should... the, the
1: big uh, unknown in software engineering. We, we are very bad at estimating the cost of doing something. We are very bad or very often too optimistic. So, it's just, you know, you need to look at where are we, what is the current state, what is the next state, uh, how much software development do we need to get there, how much testing, how much regression do we incur, how much defect are we going to introduce, and this is just software estimation. And some people have given up on software estimation. You know, it's not something that's that easy to do. It requires a lot of exper- experience. Um no tool is going to do it for, for you. Very, very few people uh, claim that they have some magic wand or function point analysis, something like that. But that may be good for greenfield development. It's not so, so good for just evolving an existing system. You're not adding any, function, uh, any functionality. You're just evolving, refactoring some code. So yeah, hmm. it's hard, and there is no magic in estimating the cost. Uh, people with experience in that technology, experience with that system, um, will will be the most qualified to give some estimates about the cost. If people keep track of the actual cost, they could become a little bit more clever about giving estimation. but. For some reason, it seems to be pretty hard for software developers to keep track of the actual cost of doing things. So
0: no magic there. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I once talked to um, to Dave Thomas uh, about that problem, and I think you also had a similar discussion with him, and, um, and he, he said, <coughs> that before you, know, you you can estimate um, but it's it's really important if you change something on very large scale that you first promise a relatively cheap let's say prototype you know you have to show that the change is possible on a small scale within a certain amount of time and also be able to explain that you that you can scale your solution to the whole problem But the most important thing is that you that you are able to deliver a visible small fix to the problem yeah let's say within three months or something if it's like a really big problem and uh, and then you already gain some experience and then you you can just um give probably better estimates
1: about it that's the whole idea in doing things iteratively don't tackle you know a big mountain uh, of development or refactoring as one monolithic piece try to break it down into some smaller pieces and try to do some prototyping and some experimentation and uh, and then step back and reflect what have we learned and how does that change our estimate for doing the whole job
0: hmm. yeah it's funny that you say yeah it's the you know it's just um Incremental software development. I'm always wondering. um, I mean, it's an old concept to do things in very small steps or in small steps, but still a lot of organizations don't, especially large organizations don't like it. They really want to solve everything in one. They want to eat the elephants during lunch, something like that. So, we we had the architectural depth. Um, we had uh, depth on the source code level. Is there anything else um, when it comes to to technical depth besides architecture and source code? Yeah, the,
1: uh, there may be some uh, interesting debt in some systems um, in uh, the production of the code and the deployment of the code. At the operational level. Um, a lot of organizations use very complex uh, scripts and manual steps to bring the software from the lab to the operational level. And um, it occurred to us when we were looking at uh, technical debt that there is a lot of uh, interesting technical debt there because uh, very often through scripts uh, to the code in place, uh, change the data, upload the data, and things like that. They are very often not even under configuration management. They are very dependent on a few people who know about them. So there is some interesting technical data at the operation level. And then as I mentioned before, there's probably some technical debt at the test level uh with uh, test suites that are not properly maintained or that are incomplete or that are testing the wrong thing and with here yeah, about you know documentation that the 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 code level debt um now there's quite a few tools and people understand it and it's identified and uh I think at a small level of granularity where you can do some estimates and uh, you can service it. Architectural debt, it's still pretty big stuff uh, where people will be very reluctant to address it uh, if they understand that they have architectural debt. Infrastructure debt, it's only for certain kinds of systems uh, and it has been not much explored as far as I know so far. So I'm trying to my nose into it a little bit more test that documentation that yeah sure you know it seems to be pretty straightforward um, hmm. it, yeah i mean it's all around um the the danger and is to start calling everything technical debt because if everything is called technical debt then the concept loses its value so i i run quite often into organizations which uh, equate defects and technical debt. Yeah, I think it's useful to make a clear separation between the two. And maybe in a few cases, there are, you know, something that is a little bit ambiguous, whether it's a defect or technical debt. Accumulation of technical debt will lead to more defects, but that's not the same thing.
0: Hmm. i mean when you talk about infrastructure i'm just i'm just wondering i mean um infrastructure as code is now not a super 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 um, new concept but it's also not that old so maybe i don't know it started maybe six seven eight years ago or something and the last let's say the last five years it it's like kind of normal yeah. uh, but it's I think it's very hard to really automate everything. And um, but in, in my project, I really feel the also the infrastructure as code stepped already because it you know usually it should only take <coughs> executing a script to set up let's say a new environment, but then it takes like weeks and weeks, and you wonder how can that actually be. Because we actually automated everything, but still, you know, here is some myth- missing, and there is something not working. Yeah, um, the I wrote also as, as a point um, that we have the technological gap um, as as some sort of technical debt.
1: Yeah, that's like an interesting concept. That uh, the the name come from uh, Jean Louis Lotouze. Um, the, it's just time passing by. At the time you made this design choice or this implementation, it was the best you could do. But now you are very successful and five years later, and the context has changed. And although you haven't done anything to your code, what was good five years ago now doesn't look that good today. So that's the technological gap. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate, it's, uh, it's technical debt that you've incurred, but not because of your fault. It happened to you by the passing mm-hmm. of time. And by the fact yeah, that it, things it, it, in the environment have changed. So what was the perfect API at some point in time to do some functionality? Now, you know everybody has moved to something much better and you're still there with the old API and people say, well, why are you doing this? Oh, but because this is the decision we've made, you know, five years or 10 years ago. <laughs> so that's yeah, technical yeah. that, that yeah, um, happened to you unintentionally.
0: Is it, is it the same like software aging, yeah, David Ana's yeah. once uh, described? It's, it's one of, it's, it's one example
1: of software aging. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really a uh, techno technological gap is really interesting because especially if you it's also one of those things you it's very hard to get rid of. Yeah. If you use technology XYZ and it's like system wide, it's very hard and costly to to change.
1: Yeah, some companies have gone bankrupt because of it. Uh, they realized that they had made some very smart technical choice, but 10 years later, you know, the whole industry didn't go that direction. And now they're, they're isolated, they're painted themselves in a corner. Hmm. And they try to yeah, engineer the system completely, but usually they die in that process because they cannot deliver any new things to their customer base, their install base. They cannot develop new business and it takes them two years to re-implement the whole system using more modern technology, and they die in the process.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, the big the, rewrite. The that's bankruptcy. always... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've been in those projects too often, actually. Um, we, we didn't go bankrupt, but uh, it usually you know it costs an enormous amount of time and you have unhappy customers because you don't deliver anything new and it usually takes longer than you think so it's it's bad but what what can you how can you reduce the risk of you know getting into the trap of technological of a technological but gap drive with your eyes
1: open you know it- people who really get to the point of, you know, almost bankruptcy because of technological gap are people who are not really keeping their eyes open and looking at what's going on in, in the outside world. Another, another way you get into something similar to uh, this technological gap is when you, when you have companies merging and they try to merge their products that's usually bring a lot of uh, technical debt up to the surface you know you have a company acquiring another company and they have similar products and the the goal of the business people is to deliver one single product that has the best of both worlds and uh, keep both um, customer base We know that this merging of systems is pretty difficult and a lot of architectural technical debt emerges at that time. And that's where also you you can feel some of the technological gap. The fact that some systems have made some assumptions that are hard to remove uh, based on what we know today.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I remember a German bank Um, they were in the news because they, you know, they were a candidate of a merger or for merger or an acquisition merger. Actually, it's an acquisition. It was an acquisition. And uh, even, you know, uh, like regular German newspapers wrote that, you know, here are the three problems of this bank which make this acquisition difficult. Here's number one, here's number two, and number three was actually the, the very old software systems, which you know nobody could handle anymore, I found that quite interesting. That it's you know already part of the the mainstream media almost. That uh, your old system is a reason why you can, you shouldn't acquire a bank.
1: Yeah. So I I've seen a financial institution running into technical debt extremely, extremely rapidly. Um, and it was a very large system and they had to re-implement it uh, almost from scratch.
0: Yeah. So, so h- how long did it take? Oh, it took them two years to recover from. Oh, mm. yeah, well, yeah, if it's a large system, yeah, two years is not. Too when, when it's a
1: large organization that, and software is not their main output, and they have, you know, if, if a company has only one product, it's a software company. They have one product, that's very dangerous because if that one product um, needs two years to be fixed or re-implemented, then they'll go bankrupt. Um, Organizations that have multiple products, well, some project can be delayed, and the company doesn't necessarily go bankrupt. And if Software is not the main output. You know, we don't expect banks to uh, actually do software. They just use software. Then, yeah, they get into difficulties with their shareholders, but they're not necessarily going to go bankrupt because of that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, I, for example, I switched to a new bank because the, you know, the the online bank of the old bank was really... Too bad. Too slow. Too everything. So for me, was well, actually the software was a reason to move to a oh, new bank. Okay. okay, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so maybe um, a few words about uh, managing the technical depth uh, strategically and uh, tactically. Um. So one thing we already discussed can technical debt be a good thing? Yeah, technical um, debt
1: can be a good thing. Technical debt is what allows you to get past some hurdles, meet some hard deadline. But you have to make it very visible that you're taking some technical debt in order to meet that deadline. It should not it, it shall not be done secretly and then we forget about mm. it and we come back to the office on Monday as if nothing had happened. <laughs> now, there is a new item on your backlog that says, fix this in priority. Mm. And if we don't, we'll suffer from it forever. <laughs> no, no, honestly, yeah. the technical yeah. debt needs to be made visible. And when you take some technical debt for some good reason, you must absolutely make it visible that you've had to take some technical debt in order to do that. You don't just say to the management, Oh, we met the deadline. Yeah, let's open the uh, champagne and uh, celebrate. Well, we, we <laughs> met this deadline at a cost. And that cost mm-hmm. is ahead of us. And it's so awareness and Education information is key there. And then uh, Mm. make it uh, a regular practice to identify technical debt, make it visible, bring it to the same backlog as new features and defects to fix and make it visible. And then do estimation, break it down into some small chunk, have some label that says this is technical debt, but it's only potential we're not, it doesn't block us from doing anything right now, so it can be postponed. It, its priority gets much lower, and we don't need to do anything about it uh, today. Buy some, buy mm-hmm. some tools, some static analyzer, to analyze you know, the structure of your software and, uh, and uh, code smells and imperfection and violation of uh, coding style and whatever. And then look at it from a critical standpoint. Is any of that slowing us down, or is any of that putting us at risk, then let's address it. If it's not, okay, it's good to know that we have some crap there, but let's not fix it because it's not spending Mm -hmm. anything. So that's another attitude. And then at the higher level, people who are technologically, who who understand the technology, understand the history of the system, what I do when I do some consulting on technical data, I say, are there things that you regret having done now? Are there some design decisions, some choices in terms of tools, framework, libraries uh, that you regret and why? And then people say, yeah, you know, if I had to do the system again, I would have organized it like this and I would have, oh, okay, why? Why is, is that a regret? Oh, because now when we do this, it's harder. Okay, now you've, you've put your finger on some potential technical debt. So what is it that if you had to do it again, you would do differently with what you know today? Hmm. And that's usually um, by notifying architectural debt. Not of which much can be fixed, by the way. If you realize that your biggest technical debt is having picked the wrong programming language, well, I'm sorry, but you have 200,000 line of closure, and nobody wants to use closure. and you have a hard time hiring <laughs> developers that wants to do things in closure. Yeah, we should have done the system in C++ or, or JavaScript. <laughs> That's a pretty big uh, technical debt.
0: Yeah, yeah, but on the other side, you could say we split the 200,000 lines of code system into several new systems. So if that's possible, then you could also get rid of the, you know, too much closure if you don't like it. Yep. Um, But uh, you said um, if you, you know, that you communicate the the technical depth, you make it um, visible if you take it. Uh, That means you need to know that you took on some debt, but there is like intentional debt, but there is also the the unintentional debt. And that is, is is that what you said, um, you know, many months back, or, you know, you're, you're already in the system for half a year or longer. And when you then look back, what, you know, now we know, now we know better. Is that what you mean with um, unintentional debt?
1: Well, some people will never realize that uh, the decision they made was, you know, not quite right. So you need a little bit of humility <laughs> and self-reflection to sort of say, yeah, maybe this was not such a great idea. Maybe we should not have done that. Maybe this solution that we see today was a better solution. Um, uh, it's, it's not obvious to discover your unintentional technical debt taken, you know, two years ago or 10 years ago. Either the people have gone, the the people who made the choices are not around, and it's difficult to understand why that decision was made, or the consequences are too big for people to even envisage it. But unintentional debt, you know, you can reduce it by more awareness and education and, you know, having healthy discussion about it.
0: Hmm. Uh, also yeah I get from time to time fresh blood into the into the project also helps i think
1: yeah fresh blood on the product but not just to do some nasty criticism oh this is crap this is uh, stupid and no you know there were some good decision that some good reason to make some decisions and uh, and the context have changed. Uh, time has passed, and uh, the system is much more successful. The system had to be scaled up to millions of users. And but what 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 can we do to evolve the to be able to continue to evolve the system at a reasonable cost?
0: Mm. Um, if I don't want to. Um pay back the debt. I just have to, to live with it. You know, sometimes that's a good choice. Um, when, when can I safely with uh, live with my technical debt? At least you need to be aware that you're living with, with that
1: debt. Um, I don't know if, if, if you, if the, if the cost with of the evolution is still bearable.
0: Hmm. Yeah, or, or, you know, you, you don't suffer yet from it. That would be in, in another This is
1: why you can, you can be very selective, especially with uh, low-level, code-level technical debt. Don't rush into fixing things everywhere, wherever you can. Just be very selective. Do it in the places that need to, to evolve. The, the software that, as you described is the tool that I, I forgot now, the software where you have a lot a of code, code, meta- code and at the same time, where there's a lot mm. of commits to use the Git uh, jargon.
0: Mm. Yeah, code scene is a tool. Okay. Um, final question from my side. Um, have you ever looked into uh, error budgets? Something from the site reliability engineering, let's say movements, which uh, Google and other companies started? Um, no, I have to admit I haven't. I, I didn't
1: even know what you meant by Asari. Ah,
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I recently s- started looking into it. So it's, it's like a way to balance um, uh, feature de- delivering features at a high velocity but uh, also understanding the risk and consequences of of doing that sure. and with that you you balance let's say work on architecture and on reliability and feature um, development but it's a
1: little bit like what i've recommended people to do the, rather than just looking at new development and doing estimates and planning of iteration and sprint based on new development, have, you know, 20% in bug fixing, have 10% in um, tech debt reduction, you know, have some budget allocated to that and change them dynamically if if they don't make sense. But at least, you know, acknowledge the fact that you will be introducing defects. So you must... Mm reserve some capacity to fix those defects. Similarly, you will be introducing some technical debt, or you have some already. So drive with your eyes open. Acknowledge that you have it, and that you will spend some time and effort reducing it. So put that explicitly as some kind of a percentage in all your sprints and iteration or in a given release schedule.
0: Mm. Uh, i don't yeah, exactly, know. Uh, same idea yeah but uh. yeah with them it's it's kind of similar so you really define a threshold what you expect from from a service to deliver you know if if you're below that or if you yeah if, if you're worse than the threshold then you know your customers become unhappy the, the threshold is like a dividing line between happy and unhappy customers and that's communicated across the organization and if everyone agrees that you know a certain amount of bugs or uh, you know slow uh, service or a service with lots of errors um, doesn't meet the let's say the expectation that has consequences so you are not allowed to deploy any software anymore until you you know you have to work on reliability or fix the issues. Um, I think it's quite interesting. So um, I will further work with it. Okay. Um, Any Anything I forgot to ask Uh or you think I should have asked that?
1: We need to keep... uh, keep uh, the information out, make people aware of uh, technical debt, make people aware of technical debt outside of the pure software development organization. You know, I had a discussion with some manager of a company a few days ago, who sort of said, oh, this is an interesting concept. You know, I didn't, I never heard of that. Oh, now this explains a few things in my own organization. That guy knows nothing about software <laughs> development, but just... Just telling him what it was, the metaphor with some concrete example in software and some warning about the limit of the metaphor, you know, the the, the place where it breaks a little bit. It's not exactly like a mortgage. Um, That that guy is now really scratching his head about his organization and will ask some questions to his IT people.
0: Hmm. All right. So... Uh, Philippe, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Sven. Yep. This was a conversation about software engineering.